Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? We awake? We're excited. It is actually somewhat cold in San Antonio. That's good news. Well, if we hadn't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Austin Johnson, uh, one of the pastors here at The Rim. Uh, My lovely, beautiful wife, Sarah, is sitting over here. She's pregnant with our first kid, daughter coming in January. We're super excited about. And today we're continuing in our sermon series, Rooted and Renegade. And specifically, we're looking at the idea of salvation. So if you've grown up in any type of church, denomination or you're exploring Jesus at all it's kind of a big question of okay how am I actually saved what does it mean to be saved what am I saved from what am I saved for how do I know that I'm actually saved so I'm I'm excited for this message but if I'm honest this has actually been a, a difficult message even for me to write myself not from a content perspective of okay this is what salvation is But if you've grown up in the church, salvation can almost become this kind of bland thing that, okay, yes, Jesus died for for my sins, he saved me, and then we just kind of go about our life. But salvation is pretty central to absolutely everything about the Christian life. Because salvation isn't just something that Jesus did, it's a revelation of who he is. So in light of that, more than anything else, Today, the invitation, as we look at salvation, there's kind of a different, few different pos- points that we'll see. Salvation is a position, it's a process, and it's also a purpose. So that's kind of the, the, the track that we're going to be taking this morning. We're going to be seeing that salvation is a position, it's a process, and it also has a purpose. But for this to be more than just a theological doctrine that we talk about, the invitation is for us to return to Jesus this morning. So actually what I want to invite you to do is to close your eyes, and I want, if, you, if you've been walking with Jesus, I want to give you just a moment to think back to when you first started to trust and follow Jesus. What are the emotions that begin to, to come up? What was it that kind of lit the spark and you began to trust and follow him? Where did he bring freedom to your life? So maybe just in the silence of this moment, I just want to give you space just to already begin to thank Jesus for what he's done in your life. So like I said, to help guide our time together this morning, uh, we're going to kind of follow this, this pathway of salvation is a position, a process, and a purpose. If you're taking notes, you can kind of expand this out, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, 
the, the scripture would call that justification, big word, we'll get there, but we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are currently being saved from the power of sin. It's called sanctification. And then we shall be saved from the presence of sin in the future. That's called glorification. So this first part we're diving into is a position that we're saved from the penalty of sin, justification. So to properly understand salvation and why it's important, we have to understand what are we actually saved from? Like, what are we actually being rescued from? And the idea that Scripture would paint is the idea of sin. Because in the message of the gospel, it's that each and every one of us were originally created in the image of God and good. But Adam and Eve, they chose to rebel against God and chose their own ways and their own desires, and that led to brokenness. God's image became distorted. So the world that you see today is a reflection of people continuing to choose to do what's right in their own eyes. It doesn't take very much to look around the world and to know things are not as they ought to be. We all know that. There's this longing of we're putting our hope in something temporary or a person because we want something more than what we're experiencing because we know that there is more, but we can't find it. And Scripture would say in Ephesians chapter 2 that sin isn't just something that is, is for a select few people. It would say that we are all in sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 would say this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all lived previously among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature... Children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. So within the context of the gospel story, salvation isn't about bad people becoming good. There's a reason that when you look at the symbol of the Christian church for thousands of years, the symbol is a cross. It's not a ladder. The invitation is that we come and we're saved from something, and in this symbol that our sin and Jesus has been paid for, it's not a ladder to your personal success. That The scripture would say that we're all under sin and we're in desperate need of a Savior because we're broken. The cross is a symbol of death. It's the symbol of judgment being poured out on the God-man Jesus. Romans 3, 23 through 26, we're gonna read it one more time. We just read together. It says this, for all have sinned. Last time I checked, all does mean all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that no matter how much we may do or try, we're ultimately gonna fall short in our own ways. They're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And God presented him as the mercy seat and by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him 
to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Especially in our world today, we don't like the word judgment. That's a very bad word. So when we think about God's judgment, we think about that in a very negative connotation. When we understand salvation, we have to understand there is no salvation without judgment. It doesn't happen. Salvation comes through judgment, not despite it. And so on the cross, it's this picture of the judgment that we all deserve being under God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. He absorbs our sin and God's wrath so that we might be free. Salvation doesn't come despite judgment. It actually comes through judgment. But instead of judgment being poured out on us, Jesus has come to rescue and redeem us and have God's judgment poured out on him. We worship a God who stands in our place and invites us to his place. We worship a God who stands in our place and offers us his place. So when we place our faith in Jesus, something happens in a moment where our position totally changes. Prior to to trusting in Jesus, we're under God's wrath and justice because we've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And someone that is holy, there's nothing else but for us to be under his judgment. But the moment we place our faith in Jesus, our position before him changes. Because we've been justified by his blood, we can now enter the throne room of heaven. We can come to the place that Jesus is. All of this is accomplished not because of anything that we do. You look at the Old Testament. It's people trying over and over and over again to earn God's favor or do the right things, but they can never quite do enough. The New Testament would show that it's, and the Old Testament points to this, it's ultimately by the grace of God and the work of Jesus on the cross. Our merits don't earn favor with God. So we're saved from the penalty of sin, but it's by the grace of Jesus. It's his performance and his blood that has paid the price for our freedom, and we have nothing to offer. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 and Romans 5, 8 would say this, for you're saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And Romans 5, 8 says this, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're saved from the penalty of sin, but it's only by the grace of God. And in our current world and society, that's actually very offensive. It's the idea that you're broken and I'm broken and there's nothing you can do about it. In our world, we want to, the American dream, it's literally pulling up yourself by your bootstraps and getting stuff done, but the gospel is going, you can't do that. We're going to continue to fall short. It's only by God's grace, which also means if we had nothing to do to earn it, then it's not dependent on us to lose it. It's not dependent on us being good or bad. It's dependent on God's faithfulness and his faithfulness alone. 
But it does raise a little bit of a question. So I've had this question a lot in my own personal life. And if you've been walking with Jesus or figuring out what it looks like to walk with Jesus, I would imagine you've probably had this question too. It's the question of, if I've trusted in Jesus or started to follow him, why do I still struggle with sin? And I find myself in this tension point. Why is sin, sin such a struggle in my life? And that's where we see that salvation isn't just a position that gets changed in a moment. That position does not change. When God now looks at you, he doesn't see you in sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. That we can now enter into a relationship with him. But it's not just a position. It's also a process. That we are being saved from the power of sin. The, the Bible would use the word sanctification. Because the reality is, there are still parts of us that don't trust God. There are still parts of us, rooms within our being, that we want to hold on to for ourselves. And so as a result, we still feel the effects and consequences of sin today. Galatians 5, 17 would say this, For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. There's this idea that if you're not aware, there is a war happening right now between your flesh and your spirit. There's a war happening of who I know I'm I'm meant to be, but also I feel the temptation of who I feel like I actually am. There is a war going on right now for your, for your spirit. So Jesus has come not just to change our afterlife. He's come to change everything about us. He wants all of your life. And that word sanctification, simply put, is this. It's becoming like Jesus. The moment you say yes to Jesus, your position changes, but we don't fully look like Jesus yet. So we're invited into this process of walking with Jesus, and over time we begin to look more like him. We begin to love more like him. He's called us to walk with him, and as we walk with him, he changes our hearts over time. Uh, Some of you, if you've hung out with me, you've probably heard me ask this question at some point. It's one of my favorite questions. When you think about salvation and, okay, how, how do I get saved We look to the disciples that begin to follow Jesus, and a great question is, when did they get saved? Like, when did the disciples actually get saved? Because they didn't pray a prayer. So was it when they first said yes to Jesus, when he first invited them? Was it when he breathed on them and filled them with his spirit and he sent them out? Is it after he was resurrected and the Holy Spirit comes and descends on them? Scripture doesn't give a clear answer, but what it does show us is as they walked with Jesus, they became more like him. They began to trust him more. They began to love him more. The point isn't to emphasize that there are, it's to emphasize that there are increasing areas of life that the disciples trusted Jesus with over time. So this can often lead to the question of, okay, if salvation is a process, but when did I get saved and how do I know that I am saved? Because for a lot of us, maybe, I mean, I grew up, I prayed a prayer of salvation growing up and nothing against that. That's, that's great. Praise God. And I would also just hold intention, 
we don't necessarily see that fully in Scripture. It does talk about confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, that you'll be saved. But there's also this reality that, man, I don't see the disciples doing that. I don't see the other New Testament believers necessarily praying a prayer and that being where they place their, their hope and trust because their faith and hope and trust was in Jesus and what he's done. So when we think about salvation and, and knowing, it's, I would encourage us to think about it less as a prayer that you've prayed and more of a question of what is your current posture? What is the current posture of your heart? Because sometimes when we think about salvation, we can go, okay, yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was young. I checked the box. Now I can kind of do whatever I want to do because, yeah, I prayed the prayer. But less of that, what's the current posture of your heart? Because if we're asking questions of, man, well, I prayed a prayer, so I'm good now, right? You're probably not actually looking for a Savior to give your life to. You're probably looking for fire insurance. And I do have some people I can refer you to in that regard. I'll give you a great quote on it. But for real, the invitation of Jesus is not just about where you're going when you die. There's implications for right now. He wants to transform absolutely everything about you. The invitation isn't just to pray a prayer and then go and live however you want. It's an invitation to come and be with me. So again, I'm not here to say that to pray a prayer of salvation is wrong. I did that myself. But what I have found and what I'd like to invite us into is this. It's perhaps less important to remember a moment that you prayed way back when and more important to look at what's the current posture of my life. Am I leaning into Jesus or am I leaning out of Jesus? Paul would say, hey, work out your fear with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, now we want to, where am I at right now with Jesus? Because we're saved by placing our faith, hope, life, death, dreams, and absolutely everything about yourself in Jesus. Not just believing a theoretical belief, but that everything about you is placed in this man that we call Jesus. Our security comes not primarily from what you've done, but on what God has done on the cross. And what he's promised to do when he comes again. So, so many of us, and you know, I heard it growing up, I, went to, I was homeschooled, went to a private Christian school, Liberty University, Christian spaces. And kind of the Christians get the bad rap of, man, you guys aren't any fun. You can't have any fun. You, you have to stop doing all the things of the world. But I also counter with this idea of, man, when you see Jesus, everything changes. Like if you're just looking at, okay, I'm saved from my sin, and I'm going to go about my life, that actually may make a little bit of sense. But we're not just living because of what Jesus did. Yes and amen, we are. He's redeemed us and saved us. We're also living because of what he's promised that he will do. That Jesus is coming back. Like he actually is coming back. So we don't just look back to what he's done. We look forward to what he is going to do. Paul would, would say this in, in 1 Corinthians if the dead aren't raised, if Jesus isn't coming back, then let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. doesn't really matter. So there's this picture of what Jesus did on the cross and his promise that he's coming back again. It gives us hope and meaning and it matters. And there's this reality that when you see Jesus, everything changes. 
Not just when you believe a, the- a theological idea or concept. That's philosophy. But Jesus has invited us into a relationship to walk with him. I, I heard it said th- this last week, and we're following Jesus' sanctification. It's the process of us dying and more of Jesus coming to life. And so even when you think about your decision-making, who you marry, where you live, what job you take, it's not actually up to you. We died. Jesus now lives in us. He now calls the shots. And so it's not just, man, I really like this city because they've got all these cool things. Where is Jesus asking you to walk with him? The guy I was listening to that, that, that said this, he had a friend that was getting ready to move to Iran. And he, he was, his friend was, he was asking his friend, hey, so you're going, moving to Iran so that you can be a missionary to the Muslim world. And he's like, no, that's not, I mean, that's part of it, but more importantly, that's where God's called me to walk with him. Jesus has called me to this place to walk with him because he wants me to be conformed to his image. Sanctification, it's you're walking in proximity with Jesus, not a philosophy, but an, a person. And as you walk with him, he begins to transform you to look like him and love like him. So I'd much prefer for us that we would have confidence, not in just a prayer that we've prayed again, nothing against that, but more so the faithfulness of what God has done. I want to place my hope and faith on what he's done and he's accomplished, not what I can do or can't do. That's going to fail every single time. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. We're currently being saved from the power of sin. But we're also, I alluded to this, we're saved for something. We're saved for a purpose, that we shall be saved from the presence of sin. Now, I'm not going to spend quite as much time on, on this one, because uh, in a couple weeks, uh, when we finish this series, I'm going to be talking about death and end times, so buckle up. That one's going to be fun. But what I do want us to see is that our salvation is not just an invitation to look back on the cross. It is yes and amen. We are free because of what Jesus has done. But it's an invitation to look forward to what he's going to do, to what he's promised to do. Romans 8, 18 through 25 would say this. And it only makes sense if we're, if we're saved for something, not just from something. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains, until now. We're about to hit that, my wife and I. Pray for us. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, 
the hope of what he's just talking about. That he's coming back and we're going to be redeemed. All of creation is going to be made new. In this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. We've been saved from sin, but we're also saved for resurrection. We're saved from sin, but we're also saved for resurrection. And there's this already and not yet reality we've talked about. There's freedom in our life now, but there is a day where Jesus is coming back and he's bringing his full kingdom. And he is going to return and we're going to get new bodies. His judgment is going to come and there's going to be justice for people that, that, that died too soon. They're going to get new bodies. There's going to be justice for, for people that left this earth too soon because we're going to get new bodies. He's coming and he's restoring all things. We're saved for something. We're saved for him. We're not just saved from who we used to be. We're actually saved for him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 would say this. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. We've be, been redeemed for Jesus. We're his bride. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. It's not an invitation into your best life now, as you and I would maybe define it. It's an invitation to his life now. Because Jesus is sufficient for every deficiency in us. He's the suffering servant who stands in our place and receives the judgment we deserve that we might have life. He's a lover that loved me and you and the world to the point of death. He's the good shepherd who when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he walks with us. He knows your name. He knows your story. He knows your season. And he's inviting us to walk with him and let him show us how to live. And he's the source of hope who's promised that he is coming again to make all things new. That he will establish his kingdom on earth. That we'll get new bodies. Sin and death will be no more. Eden will be restored. So when we think about sin, we, we don't just look back on what Christ has done. We look ahead to what he's promised that he will do. There will be no more presence of sin. Because salvation isn't just about us. It's about him. It's about who he is. So maybe you're in the room today and you haven't put yet put your faith in, in Jesus. Or may, maybe you have. The invitation for you and the invitation for maybe somebody struggling with sin or doubt is to come to Jesus. Not a philosophy, not an idea, not just this, this doctrine that we believe that is, is so good, but come to Jesus. The power isn't in a prayer, but it's in a posture of trust in his performance and what he's accomplished rather than what you or I can so as we get ready to close we haven't done this in a little bit but I want to give you space we'll give you maybe a little bit longer than 120 seconds but we'll put kind of these two questions on the screen and I want to invite you to either take out your journal or your notebook and I want to encourage you to start a sentence so you'll insert your name comma I want you to know dot 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 
I want you to take time to listen. What does Jesus want you to know this morning? And then in light of that, if you would, maybe come up with an I will statement of this is how I'm going to respond and receive Jesus' invitation. So whether it's in your journal, a note, the notes app on your phone, I'm going to give you a, a couple minutes to sit with this question and listen. And if you feel like, don't, don't feel like you have, to, you have to say something. That's not the goal. But we want to be open to, to Jesus listening. And if you feel like he is, would you write out what you feel like that he wants you to know this morning? So go ahead and take a little bit of time to listen and, and see what Jesus wants you to know. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.